0: hi and welcome back to this week in voice season three episode four today is thursday october the 11th we skipped a week last week due to digital book world it was a great conference we were fortunate to have a strong voice component to the show amazon was out there davis Bitsky gave a keynote it was fantastic paul cutzinger led a workshop um so we're back in the saddle now and excited uh, to be uh, back in our normal process of weekly episodes from now through the end of the year, uh, barring holidays. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for this week in voice is the Alexa conference, the worldwide gathering of the Alexa development community, executives. Developers, marketers, strategists, everybody who goes into the creation of a world-class voice experience or everyone who is part of the decision-making process for a company or an organization to pursue doing that would get a lot of value out of that event. It's January 15th through the 17th in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Most people don't realize Chattanooga, Tennessee is home of the fastest internet in the United States. Uh, It's not Google Fiber. It's just a proprietary uh, fiber backbone that the whole city was built on top of. There's a great tech environment there in addition to being a beautiful place. Information on the Alexa conference can be found at www.voicefirst.fm slash Alexa conference and we will link to that in the show notes for this episode. We are thrilled to have a fantastic panel with us today. I'm going to start with Brian Gar. Brian, uh, say hello. Well, hello. Brian, thank you for being part of the show with us. Um, Introduce yourself. Um, You're you're a man of uh, many talents, and you do a lot of different things. Walk us through who you are and what you do.
1: Thanks. Well, uh, I've been in the speech business since... uh, 2000, in 1999, and I had been in the AI world really since 95, doing machine translation uh, at a small retail company that provided retail software, then 10 years at IBM in the Emerging Technologies Group on speech technologies and machine translation, Uh, then started my own company uh, called Linguisys, and since then I've been doing fractional CXO stuff, helping some companies do turnarounds, helping some others uh, make entry into the United States. But it all seems to wend around this idea of AI. Uh, And with a quick plug, I I just released a book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble called uh, A Beginner's Guide to Artificial Intelligence for Boomers and Boards. And that is meant to help people that aren't technologically inclined, learn a little about what's going on with all these devices that are running their house and their cars and everything else. And so that's a little bit about me. I'm currently also helping a company called Govivachi as their chief revenue officer, and they're all about speech technologies and biometrics. Excellent. Thank you for that. And uh, shoot us the link for your book. We'll link that in
0: the show notes. That sounds excellent. I love the name.
1: Thanks. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's Boomers and Boards because it actually, the idea came to me. One of the things I, I love to do was being on the board of the IBM Southeast uh, Credit Union, which is a billion-dollar credit union. And I was fortunate enough to have a speaking slot for some Meeting of board members of, of boards from other credit unions and talk about technology and uh, I found that most of their questions centered around why doesn 't my Siri understand me or what 's Alexa really doing? Is it listening all the time and and so I decided to turn all of those questions and answers into a short guide uh, for people that just really primarily boomers and older that just don't get it uh, because they weren't raised on it, and to give them some transparency into what's going on. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.
0: Our next guest is Daniel Gonzalez, CEO of Soundbite. Daniel, say hello. Uh, Hello, everyone. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be on the show. (laughs) Yeah, Daniel, thank you for being part of this with us. So walk us through uh, what Soundbite is and uh, how it got started. she started this about
2: three years, and originally, what we were building was the uh, audio of social media. You know, I think of the like next Twitter, but just some audio. Um, but about a year and a half ago, we pivoted. That's where we are now because we realized um, audio and social media wasn't going to work. And you know, we both debated We got to test it. And, you know, it seems like the holy grail, but like the holy grail doesn't exist. People don't feel comfortable putting their voice out publicly. And the experience you know, felt like audio was kind of retrofitted into a traditional social media format. It wasn't built from the audio up. So SoundBite right now is more of a touch-free voice messaging app where you can talk to your friends and family off without ever having to uh, touch the screen. However, that's actually just the first use case we're voting for the platform, which is SoundBite. The bigger vision of what we're trying to do here is that we're seeing as the world is going more towards mixed reality, we're seeing SoundBite being the voice infrastructure for it makes reality world with AR VR, and so on. In this world, you're going to need to be able to interact with digital objects and more beyond just inefficient hand gestures. You probably want to interact with them with your voice. So if SoundBite is building up the platform that will enable it, so Us being a platform and not a voice assistant, you will you will not have to go through a middleman every time to get like an action done, to talk to a friend, or to just get to talk to an object and interact with it. So through a platform, we allow for direct interaction. To this digital world. And we're starting off with the use case of communication to start building up the platform and more. Excellent. That's kind of a, the long short of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, excellent uh, description. Daniel, thank you for joining us today as well. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> with that, we will get to the news. And our first story this week is Screen Time, Amazon and Google battle for multimodal supremacy. So recall that last year, when Amazon gave us their smorgasbord of products uh, late in the year that had the Echo buttons, that had a whole bunch of stuff. One of the things in that grouping, if I'm not mistaken, was the Echo Show. And since then, it's been questionable whether the Echo Show has sold as much uh, as Amazon was hoping. It sold a bunch, but maybe not as much as the Dot or, or uh, the regular Echo or some of the other audio-only devices. However, it's clear that it's become a mainstay and some of the reporting that VoiceBot.ai and others have done has indicated that the Echo Show has found a home in primarily the kitchen um, within the the modern home. And now we're getting to the point where Google is showing that they're going to compete and we're really getting ready for a showdown in terms of voice with screens. Story 1A here is that the, the new Amazon Echo Show's improved screen and better speakers aren't enough. Uh, this is an article that talks about how, um, the author really wished that the echo show did a little bit more and whined about YouTube integration and some other things. Story one B Google home hub joins the fight to put a screen on your countertop. So there's, there's a battle, um, shaping up here, um, between Amazon and Google, uh, to be the voice assistant uh, in the smart speaker ecosystem that puts a screen in front of you in the kitchen and other places. And Daniel, I'm going to start with you. What is your interpretation of, uh, you know, what are your thoughts as you look at these two articles? Do you think that we really are... about to see a battle, you know, for uh, multimodal supremacy, or you think that that uh, this is just uh, a coincidence that the timing of these are about the same, and really people aren't ready to embrace a screen yet, and and we're sort of misinterpreting this. What are, what are your thoughts?
2: My thoughts in terms of like, you know, what does the screen like really mean for voice, you know, in, in terms of this and that, like the articles mentioned, you know, kind of feels more like a like an iPad or like a TV just with voice commands and so on to interact with it. Which leads to greater expectations. However, one thing um, that this is where I believe that you know a screen will be really big for voice is for confirmation. There's a lot of actions you might do with your voice that you may want to have a visual confirmation for. For example, if you're at the kitchen, you just ordered eggs or just something you know through an Alexa show, rather than having to have Alexa talk back to you for confirmation, just a quick you know check mark on a screen you know could work. You know, I think the biggest thing for screen and visual and voices, the confirmation of voice without the need to have to speak back. Sometimes visual confirmation can be just as quick, or if not quicker. Uh, more than just coincidence, there actually could be a really big uh, battle uh, between uh, Amazon and Google when it comes to this terrain. And the reason why, is the article mentioned, with the Google product, the fact that it will be also be able to use um, with, all the other, with the other connected devices you, you, uh, Google already has, the smart home, with their acquisition of Nest and more, you know, I believe that the Google product um, could be a great way to kind of monitor, you know, the whole, the whole smart home experience right there. Although you may interact with your voice, it gives you that, all that visual confirmation you need. I know Amazon has expanded the product line with the microwave, the clock, and more to include, you know, Alexa, which would probably you know, interact surely with the Alexa show. But I think Google does have an advantage in the screen, with the screen, given that it will be so much nicer to have all this visual confirmation with all these other smart uh, devices you have connected in your home. So I definitely believe uh, it's going to be interesting to watch as this thing develop.
0: Brian, I'm going to ask you basically the same question. You've been around voice for a while, speech for a while, whatever you want to call it. You've been around technology for a while. And as you look at uh, these stories um, and you sort of see how mainstream voice assistants have evolved at this point, is this a reflection of uh, voice assistants um, and voice-first technology ready to take that next step into embracing screens and being more useful and more all-encompassing? Or is there something else going on here? What, what's your take with your perspective as you uh, look at these articles here?
1: Well, from a purely marketing standpoint, uh, I think it's a disaster waiting to happen it's It's a race to the bottom, and until these devices become so inexpensive that people don't give a second thought to buying one uh, I don't think they're gonna have huge penetration as an industry we've spent the last ten years marketing to people that they can take their screen wherever they want. If you wanna take your screen to the baseball game or to uh, the park for a picnic, then take your screen wherever you want, watch whatever you want, wherever you want, on whatever device you choose. And, and now Amazon and Google are saying, wait a second, if you wanna to talk to the kids in uh, a face-to-face, everybody crowd into the kitchen because that's where the device sits and it shall not move from there. So I, I don't get it. Now, that's not unusual. I didn't get a lot of things. But uh, I, I don't understand the, the logic behind saying I'm going to have a fixed device uh, that you must crowd around if you want to use it. Um, as far as the speech recognition part of it is concerned, the certainly speech reco is a lot better today than it was even three years ago. Because we now see error rates that are around five percent, which is in theory about what a human error rate is. So speech reco now should be every bit as good as a human is when you're talking about uh, the, the, the top speech reco applications such as Govavachi or Amazon or Google or Watson even. Um, so so that part is pretty much solved. So then it becomes a question of how do you use speech reco with screens in the most optimum way to get the most users excited about it? And I'm not sure that uh, having a fixed device is is the answer based on what we've been telling people to do for the last ten years. I agree with you.
0: To on one hand, in that it seems like a missed opportunity uh, for Amazon. I mean, Google Assistant is on a lot of mobile devices. It's on a whole ton of them. Uh, right. Alexa is on an increasing number. But still Amazon doesn't have a mobile device, so they're behind the eight ball a little bit. However, by your logic, w- you know, we wouldn't necessarily have like a flat screen TV in the bedroom or something, because we would, you know, just be watching on our phones, and we would just bring our phones in there, and there'd be no reason to have something mounted on the wall. So I guess there becomes there's some use cases where you've got a a, a stationary. Screen and that becomes accept- acceptable um, in different contexts of different rooms, um, separate from what you carry around with you. But that's an interesting point that you raise.
1: And even if you look at what Comcast and the other uh, TV streaming TV vendors are doing, they're all offering streaming opportunities now, where you don't have a fixed device, where you can I can watch any of my TV shows and I happen to have Comcast as my vendor, uh, on streaming on any device I want. I no longer now, when there's uh, an opportunity to watch something in large screen, the reason we go to movies is because being in a large screen and it becomes an event. Uh, and and that's still true watching something like a tennis or golf tournament on a large screen TV, where watching it on a device just doesn't cut it.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, so you're right. I think the the, the the moral of the story is how, what is that optimum way for voice assistance to get integrated? Um, and you know, I've mentioned this on this week in voice before. Comcast, which is also my provider, so we're both we're both in the house of pain together, <laughs> um, <laughs> has sent me that remote that they are advertising where you talk into the remote. Right. And I haven't used it. Um, I don't know what that says about me as a advocate of voice. I haven't opened it. I haven't used it. I guess it says I'm lazy. But no,
1: I-, I use it all the time. It's wonderful. When the, the tennis is on and I don't know, and obviously I'm a tennis player, but I don't know what channel it's on. I just say tennis, and it shows me all the tennis that's on TV. Or if I want to watch the Dolphins lose, then I just go to – The blue button and say football and it shows me all the football games on tv
0: when i was in california a friend of mine uh who works for intel used uh that remote and and it was incredible it's exactly like you described it just works so well so you know yeah so we made some inroads in terms of how screens and voice work together Um, and i think that these stories sort of provide an opportunity to to think deeper on it. From my perspective, I see the promise of the idea
2: behind these you know, devices that are mainly just implanted into your household is the idea of just uh, an extension of what ambient computing, or part of what ambient computing could be. You know, we will need hardware devices all over the place, but the idea is that no matter where you can go, you can still access your services or you know, requests or, you know, or more you know, no matter anywhere you are. You know, one thing that the Alexa does offer, and even the Alexa show, which, you know, sure, it's confined to the screen, but the assisted part and the speaker part still works. The fact that it used to have more area of usage, you know, wherever that device is planted, whereas if your phone, you know, it's very limited just because it's just a screen. So, sure, you can't take it around with you, but no matter where you go inside your house, you can still use it, or to a large extent. So I still think uh, I'm not convinced on the part of um, that the, the, the fact that it's planted is going to be is very limiting. I think it's something that people can get used to, especially as it becomes more adopted or more uh, perpetuated in the household and more.
0: No, yeah, I, and I'm sort of inclined to agree with that too. I mean, I, I, we we've seen from the data that uh, the kitchen, whether or not you agree with that premise in total, the kitchen specifically, um, there's something about it where um, a screen fits, and we've seen that with the Echo Show, and the data's borne that out. It'll be interesting to see if that. Holds for other rooms in the house, uh, whether uh, people prefer to have something that's more mobile over time or how it plays out. I appreciate the, the commentary on that. We're going to roll on to story number two, which is our VoiceBot.ai story of the week. VoiceBot.ai, fantastic site uh, for news and commentary related to all things voice and AI. Check it out. 61% of Alexa's skills still have no ratings and only one percent have more than one hundred. The news has been over the last couple of years. Echoes are selling like crazy. Echoes, echoes, echoes all the time. Dots, taps, regular echoes, everything. Google Assistant uh, and Google Home devices. Uh, you know, the story of twenty eighteen is they've been catching up. Tons of sales uh, sold in Lowe's, sold You know, sold in Walmart. Um, available in all sorts of new retail outlets, uh, selling a lot as well. And VoiceBot.ai has been all over this from the beginning. I I like these stories that Brett Kinsella puts together about what's really happening in terms of the Alexa skills marketplace, because the the differentiator here is that Amazon has opened up the Alexa ecosystem to development. Uh, And, you know, Google has as well. It's just been a little bit... Behind um, and uh, you know over the last couple of years, but here we have a story saying maybe that didn't matter that much. I don't know. I'm interested to get y'all's opinion. And, and Brian, I'm going to start with you. Is the interpretation to you of this headline and this story that third party development for Alexa doesn't matter as much as we thought? Is it that it's not as easy to access as we thought? Or is there something else going on here? Uh, what's your What's your take? So uh,
1: I've written uh, skills for both Alexa and Home, and I've had multiple conversations at conferences with uh, Alexa team uh, in the developers about the fact that uh, as a developer, we are severely not punished as the right word, but severely curtailed in abilities because they give us access to so little with the SDK. So one of the biggest problems, at least uh, for me, when I'm thinking about developing an Alexa skill, is that I don't have access to the voice stream of, of what the person said. And even more importantly, without the ability to just pass through all of the text from the utterance, uh, I can only create a grammar and say, were these words used? Uh, now, they took away the ability to uh, have the, the full utterance available as text, and then they give it back to us because people yelled and screamed too much. But what we have available to us as developers uh, who want to create creative and new and, and compelling applications is, is very small. Uh this, home is a little better because of the new uh, AI interface uh, or SDK that they're using. But uh, for years, developers have been screaming about Alexa's curtailing our ability to have access to everything we need to write Alexa skills. So I think there are two things at play here. I think one for developers, it's very hard to create anything creative and compelling. And number two, which is true, not just with Alexa, but everywhere is if you ever tried to, um, give a review of something, all of a sudden it tells you, no, I need at least 100 words. Well, all I wanted to write was, if they gave me access to the utterance, I'd be much happier. And that's not 100 words. So now I've got to create a bunch of other stuff. And I just say, never mind, and close it down. So I think there's two things at play.
0: So wait a minute. Let me ask you, let me, let me drill down on that. To, to leave a review of an Alexa skill, you have to write a hundred words or more? Well,
1: I'm, I'm exaggerating, I'm sure. But every time I go to re- review something and I want to say one or two phrases, then it keeps telling me, no, you got, I think it's, it's might have been a review of an Amazon product. Maybe that was it, but, or a book. Yeah. I know okay. for books, when I try to review books, it wants a lot more content from me. Definitely, uh, I agree with Brian
2: on those points that, you know, right now it is very limiting. He's going to come to the developer standpoint. One thing I do want to add, at least in terms of, uh, you know, my, my perspective in terms of what Amazon's trying to do. I, I'm not too concerned about the fact that there aren't that many reviews. I think definitely it's too difficult or just more difficult to leave the reviews, um, compared to say, you know, when you download an app on the app store and then just leave a review right there. I think it's also the fact that, you know, given the limited uh, tools that, you know, Alexa offers and so on for developers, may also be due to um, a lot of these skills kind of becoming very ingrained in Alexa to not really be seen as an independent skill. They become more as a, a feature um, of Alexa rather than, oh, Alexa is accessing this other skill that's giving me utility. I think, um, you know, for how Alexa works, everything is kind of rallied behind it, whereas very few things are seen rather independent of it. You know, when you use an app on your iPhone, you don't think you're, oh, this is a feature of the iPhone, but many skills in Alexa, I'm convinced, are often seen as just part of Alexa, but there's not much of differentiation. And that might also limit people's desire for just leaving reviews, not because the skill isn't useful, but because, you know, they forget <laughs> that it's its own app. It's like, oh, I just downloaded an Alexa feature. You know, not an Alexa not, an, not a like separate independently developed application for Alexa that Alexa is just accessing or giving me access to. So that's how I kind of see it there. Uh, yes, although the number of skills may have doubled, you know, I think there's a lot of structural issues in place that kind of, you know, bolster, you know, the amount of reviews there are out there, which would ultimately benefit the developer community and more.
1: So f- from a developer standpoint, one of the silliest things Alexa's done, and they know it, and they, they've heard the complaints, is that if I write an application, and let's call the application Calvin for whatever reasons, right? And Calvin's a killer application, and people want to use it. But if they want to use it, they've got to say, Alexa, ask Calvin, blah, blah, blah. Have I, I, if I like a particular sports uh, skill, that's better than the one that Alexa has. I can't go to a matrix, a spreadsheet or a, a configuration file and say, when the intent is sports, I want you to use this application rather than the one that Alexa wants to use. Just that one change of of letting people define what intent goes to what application to override the defaults would, I would guess double or triple the number of, of uh, people that use Alexa skills uh, prominently? From somebody's standpoint, like mine, that's relatively
0: new to all this, you know, we just started Voice First FM, you know, about 18 months ago. Um, and the Alexa conference has been around for, you know, two and a half to three years now. So it's not like I'm a lifer here. The marketing behind alexa and google assistant um and just the overall premise you have a you have a device you've got a voice assistant you talk to it it does something for you why do i need a marketplace why do i need reviews you know we're getting to the point now especially with duplex and all the rigmarole about that and how ai making phone calls for you we're going to get to that later in the show the purpose of reviews is discoverability. You look at reviews, the reviews become a sorting mechanism, and then reviews then make it become a decision you know mechanism where if the reviews are high enough, you will make the decision to to install something or enable it and uh, if they're not high enough, then you won't make that decision and you know it it is sort of jarring that that's necessary in any way, because shouldn't Alexa know us, you know, shouldn't there be some context at this point, you know, hopefully, I think the real answer in my opinion to this is that uh, Amazon and Google have just got to create um, powerful enough voice assistants to where there's just, um, there's not a need for a public facing review mechanism. And instead the reviews are internal to where Alexa can know, okay, this, to use your example, Brian, this sports skill here is better than this other one. And furthermore, other people who are Miami Dolphins fans have liked it better uh, than this other one. So when someone from the Florida area asks us about sports, we're going to be biased toward using this particular Alexa skill over this other one. And only if there's a problem, will we then make a change? You know, none of that, um, we're just not, advanced enough yet. So this, you know, my interpretation of the story is it's just a repercussion of the messiness involved
1: with how fast all this stuff has come about. And we're just not quite where we need to be yet. These systems are pretty simple intent based systems, uh, starting with Siri and, and we're not using deep neural nets in Alexa, uh, well, possibly for speech reco, but but the systems are all based on you're going to say an intent. And uh, as Alexa or home, I have a finite number of intents that I understand. So it's a long way from a general intelligence. It says, I know, and I think at one point Siri had 2,000 some odd intents that it understood. And I don't know what the figure is now, but the only way that Alexa understands more intents is if a programmer develops a new intent saying, I understand this intent and when I uh, hear this intent, I'm going to execute the following application. Uh, And If you think about it in terms of that, then you get to see how uncomplex it is in its ability to, to know how to serve you better other than for a developer to say a lot of people are asking for individual scores. They don't want to just hear. So right now, with a lot of these systems, if I say, what was the the score in last night's Dolphins game? It just triggers a sports report and tells me the latest sports scores for all the teams it knows, as opposed to saying the Dolphins score last night was something versus something. Uh, so, so these are not, you know, next gen systems anymore. These are basic systems that were developed, and in in AI, two years is forever, uh, you know, forever ago. Uh, and and again, I think what you're asking about is more of a general intelligence, uh, and we are decades away from general intelligence unless there's you know could be a new invention tomorrow which solves the problem but certainly uh lots of people are working on it but don't know how to do it well and that's that's
0: the mismatch i'm talking about between the perception of the product and the actual nature of the product um and uh it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well because these reviews i think are a byproduct of that i think if you went and you lined up 100, Alexa, you know, you, you line up 100 uh, homeowners who have an Echo Show in their kitchen uh, all in a row, and you say, uh, uh, you ask all 100 of them, how do you add new functionality to your Echo Show device? You're going to get 100 pretty wildly divergent answers, and almost none of them will be you go to the Alexa Skills Marketplace, enable a new skill, and then leave a review.
2: Right. Um, one thing I definitely want to add is the fact that you know Amazon having this developer community, you know, part of it my supposed reason is to kind of add these use cases with these intents and so on, so they don't have to develop it in house. Ideally, you know, it would be a true conversational agent where you don't need where there wouldn't be a public developer community and you wouldn't need reviews It would just do everything for you. You know, there is definitely an antagonism between the developer community and Amazon because. You know, right now, whenever you, you know, the thing is, they want to get it to the point where it's, you know, its own agent. However, you know, people are developing not because they just want to contribute to Alexa, but because they want to create their own independent software for Alexa. You know, the question is, do you want, is the developer community kind of like just working for Amazon under the cover? You know, where their skills are really just features? Or are they working for themselves to use the Amazon Alexa you know device um, to distribute their service to people? to add, like, to create a voice for a service. And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot more pushback going forward, you know, uh, trying to get that forward, because I'm not convinced that developers would simply just want to add features and not be recognized for the work they're doing, which is why the ratings are very important. But again, like you mentioned, it kind of takes away from it being a consistent agent in terms of it always having the best service for everything.
0: We're going to move on to story number three. From the Verge, Google Duplex will start rolling out on Pixel devices next month. So, Google Duplex might as well be a synonym for controversy, <laughs> based mm. on uh, how they rolled out, uh, you know, and how they introduced this to all of us um, a few months ago. Daniel, I'm going to start with you. Are you excited about seeing Google Duplex in action? Uh, it's, I think it's available in only a handful of markets that they're rolling out. Um, are you sitting back waiting to see what happens? What, what, are you, what are you looking for? What are you expecting to see with this rollout? Oh, I can definitely say I'm not, I wouldn't say excited. Uh, I'm just, I'm
2: intrigued. I'm really interested to see how it does turn out. Uh, I have an iPhone and I don't really plan on moving to the Pixel just yet it does seem like a very interesting service that can have, you know, a lot of use. It'd be interesting to see how, or how this kind of adds on to, you know, or could be even used by potentially uh, other, you know, uh, remote uh, virtual assistants um, or remote executive assistants. Cause right now there are plenty of other services that do things like this, but with more people and less, you know, technology behind it. I'd be interested to see, that they actually just kind of use the service to so charge that you for, like, you know, what they're doing, with we'll this kind of augmented, you know, you know, how far does Google plan to kind of go into the EVA market? Um, I think this is definitely a big, you know, play into that, and it's probably really large, especially since they probably, you know, will be able to do it without having to, it costs a lot of, you know, money every month. But um, I'm definitely intrigued. sure it's controversial, you know, but um, I'm, I'm definitely very intrigued.
1: I'm so glad that uh, they've introduced a new, well, a term that's been around for a long time called the Uncanny Valley into our daily discourse, because uh, when I used to use that term, people didn't know what it was and I had to explain it. Now, thanks to Google Duplex, I think everybody knows the term Uncanny Valley. And in, indeed, it was uh, it is the poster child for Uncanny Valley, uh, which is... Th- People get really queasy when you, it's, you try to be too, much, too human when you're a computer, um, and, and they freak out, and that's indeed what happened here. Uh, what's more interesting to me, though, is that uh, I think it's great. I, I love anything that'll keep me from sitting on hold, waiting for the person to take my reservation. What is going to happen is that there will be... Restaurant, a restaurant class system, which already sort of exists today, because your, your upscale restaurants are going to simply refuse calls uh, from, from duplex. If you want to make a reservation, call us. We'll, we'll be happy to take your reservation, but we won't take it from a computer. And then there'll be those who are technologically advanced and will actually create a duplex receiving system. So they don't have to use a human to answer a a computer call. And, you know, we're close to that today with some of the restaurant reservation apps. Uh, So if I want to make a reservation at any one of the restaurants that's on open table, for example, uh, I, I don't need to talk to someone to do that. So I could almost do it today by writing a little app, which... Takes my voice and opens up the Open Table API and creates the reservation for me when I say "make a reservation at J. Alexander's at 6 p.m. this evening." Um, so, so there's nothing. This this is a very clever system, but there's nothing terribly exciting about being able to make a reservation with just asking for it with your voice. Um, and and it'll be interesting to see how the upscale restaurants respond and whether they allow their uh, maitre d's and receptionists to answer the phone if it's a Pixel, if it's, it's a device. Now, the other side of it is the Pixel, the Google Pixel, which they just released the the Pixel 3 and, and 3XL, and uh, they look like incredible devices, and they'll be out soon. And so they think that from a marketing standpoint, Duplex is going to push out more Google Pixel sales because they have not tended to live up to their expectation. They still fall far behind Samsung in um, Android sales. And uh, and there's lots of reasons for that, which probably this is not the right discussion to have. But um, I'm not sure it'll help the Pixel. I don't, I don't know people will buy the Pixel solely because... Duplex is available on it.
0: I am not sure about that either. I would be inclined to say, um, well, going back a step, the ability in my mind to save—if you can tell Alexa or Google, in this case, Google Assistant, you know, Google Duplex, whatever they're calling it—Hey Google, give me a reservation for Jay Alexander's at six PM and you know that just reduced a 10 minute task to
1: 5 seconds that that's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing right there Assuming that it works the first time. Now, reservations are usually a duplex, funny that you used that word, a duplex uh, conversation. So what happens when the waitress or the maitre d' says, I'm sorry, we only have 630 or the closest thing I have is 845. Um, So then is is Alexa going to, or rather is uh, duplex going to call you back and say the earliest they have is 845? So quite often... When you make a reservation, it's a negotiation, not just a, a simple binary yes or no.
0: That's true, and uh, and yeah, and you're absolutely right. It, it's a it's a high risk proposition for the Pixel phone because if the first reviews come out for the phone and say anything like i used google duplex to make a reservation and it doubled the time necessary to book the reservation that's going to blow a hole in whatever sales they hope to get because i you know i would assume that most people who are going to buy that phone would be doing it for duplex um, you know i don't think it's distinguished really in any other way i think that's the major focus of the phone so if duplex doesn't uh, save you a bunch of time then they might sell one to you know larry page's mom or something but that'll be <laughs>
1: <it>. <laughs> yeah i actually want the google uh the pixel xl only because it's the lar- it's 6.3 inches wide and i use my phone for i i can actually do most of my work on my phone except for writing code and writing uh, writing except for writing
0: it's going to be interesting to watch. I uh, I have high hopes for Duplex. I, um, you know, we talked about this on this week in voice when they went through that controversial press conference and unveiled it. If you told me that every person I've spoken to on the phone at a business over the last five years was a robot and not a human being, and that was never disclosed to me, I would yawn and say, "Okay." <laughs> you know, I I, I don't view, uh, there, there's an ethical debate that people want to have around it that I don't understand. I really don't care if it's robots talking to me, robots talking to my robots, or my robots talking to other humans. I don't care if it's disclosed. I don't really see a need for that. It's just whatever makes my life easier, sign
1: me up. Right. I mean, Uncanny Valley, I think, really came out of the gaming industry where, you know, things started to become a little too perfect, uh, given that you have mass destruction and murder and mayhem, uh, extra mayhem, uh, on the, these video games. And when it got to be too realistic, uh, it, it was sort of squeamish. It was like, I, I really don't want to see that. I, I want to see the fake version, because I know in my mind it's fake and that nobody really got hurt. Um, so, it's, it's, I'm not sure if it has the power, if it's just voice that it does if it's a video game. But certainly, uh, I would prefer, and as a designer of, of, of voice systems, I always try to make sure that uh, my, uh, p- the people hearing these devices know that it's a computer. I don't try to make it sound human because I just think that's sort of freaky.
2: So I definitely, you know, when it comes to the computer you know, sounding like a person, I'm very intrigued, very interested to see how um, that would be, how that would fare in, uh, generationally. You know, as, as children right now are growing up, you know, we have the likes of these voice-first devices. Will they actually prefer not to actually be freaked out by, you know, computers sounding more human? Will they actually, you know, like think, oh, when a computer sounds robotic, that it's, you know, annoying and frustrating? You know, for example, uh, myself, I, uh, I definitely agree that, you know, and it would be freaky to have a Google duplex with um, under the guise or at least that it might be impersonating someone. I understand that fear, especially in a personal call. And like business, you know, it's really not that big of a deal because you're just expecting to get the outcome done. You're not just talking for the sake of having a conversation. But I'm definitely interested to see, you know, if this Uncanny Valley idea will continue the same way. You know, as if you grew up with it, will you just become to accept it? Or will you still, or is it something more intrinsic in us that, oh, you know, we just, we don't want anything else to
0: sound or act like us if it's not human, you know? That's just my thought on it. Moving on to story number four, the second cohort of Amazon's Alexa Accelerator powered by Techstars is over. So one of the coolest things in voice, I think, is this Alexa Accelerator, um, and it's, only as good as the companies that they've managed to curate. And they've done such a great job, novel effect, sensible object. A lot of great companies came out of the first cohort. And it really sort of set the stage for showing the world all the interesting things that are possible with the ecosystem. And now they've just completed the second cohort. And so, Daniel, I'm going to start with you. Tell me, uh, there's, there's a number of companies, they're all listed in the article. Tell me which company of this cohort that you like the best or that you're most bullish on? <laughs> so actually, uh, I really liked that reading into this cohort because the first thing that came to mind when I read
2: um, Presence AI was like, huh, you know, given that they're going to allow companies to do calls and other communication with their clients and such, um, I wondered, you know, especially in terms of targeting restaurants and other small businesses, you know, I wonder what will happen between an interaction between what they're doing and the Google duplex. <laughs> that was the first thing that came to my mind that, It'll be uh, very interesting, my opinion. Um, I think what they're doing sounds great, but the company, uh, I'm more bullish on is voice. It, I think, um, you know, for example, I'm asked often, sound soundbite. Oh, you know, cause you know, voice is actually a very accessible enabling technology, you know, giving, you know, people that say don't have, you know, uh, maybe visually impaired, um, maybe, you know, uh, you know, uh, have handicapped in such in other ways, you know, the ability to access, you know, modern technology, the means of communication and more, you know, but oftentimes like, oh, what if they're, you know, can't speak or, or, you know, verbally impaired. And, you know, it seems like voice it is really tackling that issue, which, you know, will become more and more at the center of debate, you know, for voice technology going forward, especially because the promise of voice is accessibility. So because that's one thing, you know, that's largely advocated for, we expect it to be accessible to everyone. So it's going to be more and more at the forefront of the the, the discussion, and I think you know companies like Voice Air, you know, will probably be able to lead that discussion. And they think they're doing great work, especially for what they've accomplished so far, fundraising and development wise. I think it's very interesting. So I'm probably most bullish on them.
1: So uh, I think, without a doubt, my my favorite out of these is Jargon. Um, I. Just so happens, my introduction to AI was working for a company, being the chief technology officer for a company that wrote software that translated one language into another. And this was in the 90s, so it was long before I think Google even existed, much less was in the translation business. Uh, so, so I understand the complexities um, of trying to move Intents between different languages and, and, you know, whether it be a double byte language where you may not have any punctuation marks and you may have no spaces between words um, or or whether it's just the nuances of every language being um, very... Uh, complex in the way it conjugates verbs and morphology and uh, or just the fact that every language has their own idioms and uh, can be very ambiguous English being one of the most ambiguous languages uh, in the world so I I think what they're trying to do or whether they'll succeed or not I don't know but what they're trying to do is create some level of transparency so that applications can be used uh, across the globe there are uh, certainly uh, using voice, it opens up all sorts of avenues, for example, in Africa, where there are uh, lots of areas where they use flip phones almost exclusively because they don't have the communications infrastructure other than flip phones. But if they can use speech to activate uh, Things that happen, such as trading or selling or uh, getting uh, reports that they need, using their voices, uh, and and they don't uh, have to worry about what language. And I think that's vastly important, hugely important.
0: There's there's none of these companies that suck. They're all really good and really interesting. Uh, it's a fascinating article to read to sort of look at them and what' some what they're doing I, I really love the fact that uh, for a second straight year you know they've they continue to choose companies that have like a whimsical nature to them like this unruly out of Boston um, I think voice it you know with the accessibility angle um, that's a real no-brainer uh, but one that One that I'm intrigued probably the most by, um, and I hope for the most success, will be Helix. I really like the idea of whoever can figure out the best ways to unlock scientists, and I I include doctors in there. You know, doctors, scientists in the lab, all these people who have a lot of bureaucracy they've got to deal with and record keeping, either their own record keeping or what they have to do from a corporate. Uh, standpoint. Um, you know, I love the, the the tagline here, Helix turns scientists into the best version of themselves. If you can get anywhere close to doing that, um, you've not only done humanity a favor, you've made yourself a bunch of money. So um, great list, great bunch of companies, um, well done by this team and excited to watch these folks uh, moving forward. Uh, thank you for the Insights into the two, you know, the companies that uh, the two of y'all are looking at uh, as well. We're going to move on to our final story of the week from Business Insider. Over 1 million people asked Alexa to marry them last year, and she turned them all down. (laughs) Um, We love to include stories like this at the end of This Week in Voice episodes that are a little bit... uh, out there, you know, sort of showing uh, the fringe of uh, what's going on in voice technology or something humorous. Um, Brian, I'm going to start with you. Um, What jumps out at you when you're confronted with the information that over 1 million people asked Alexa to marry them last year? Is it that People test the boundaries of voice? Is it that people are lonely? Uh, what is it? And, and uh, you, you share with us your thoughts as you look at this.
1: Yeah, I, I, I look at the, when I, when I see something like that, it makes me think that most people don't take their home assistants very seriously. That is, they don't think them as marvels of technology. Uh, can you imagine Captain Kirk talking to computer and, or, or, or Scotty saying, uh, well, Scotty probably did ask the computer to Miriam several times, but, <laughs> but, uh, can you imagine captain Kirk t- turning to his computer and, and asking him a question like that or asking him, you know, what are you wearing today? That's uh, or point. any one of the thousands of questions that people ask, uh, Alexa each year. And if you look at the top, hundred questions that Alexa gets asked, they're mostly in that vein. So it's, uh, I, I actually asked Alexa, I have an Alexa in every room in my apartment and I actually asked Alexa something similar the other night. Uh, I forgot what it was now, but it was just stupid, but it just came to mind and I asked it and it gave me a fairly, uh, smart response, um, but but I think it means that we don't see these devices as the computer on Star Trek as technological marvels, uh, and and they're not. Uh, certainly, for the, most people, they are outside of their understanding. But they do understand them well enough to know that this is just a a silly device that lets me do things like. Uh, make a reservation, or or tell me what time it is, or tell me what the weather is. All things I could do myself, it would just take a lot longer and wouldn't be as much fun.
0: If Captain Kirk had ever asked the computer <laughs> to, <laughs> mar- to marry it, uh, the computer would have been like, what the, and right, exactly. in- initiated a self-destruct <laughs> sequence, and then, uh, n- you know, no more show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, and Daniel, I'm going to ask you the same thing. What do you take away from seeing this information? Uh, you agree with Brian. It's an indicator that uh, the technology is just not mature yet, something about our perception of it. Uh, what are your thoughts?
2: You know, when I read that article, the first thing that came to mind is that, well, it's, what's certain is that, you know, people still have a good sense of humor and curiosity. <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's not a matter of uh, the complexity of the technology. I think, you know, people are just curious and tend to just interact with things. Say, "Oh, What would happen if I did this? You know, it's not that they don't appreciate it. It's just, you know, they're just curious. Um, I think that sometimes we kind of get, we kind of think of the technology too seriously and we tend to take it too seriously just because of this complexity. But, you know, deep down, you know, people are who they are. Going to want to interact with it like as they've always done. I mean, whether it was an Alexa or you know, a simple contraption, you know, 300 years ago, people fiddled around with it in the silliest world if possible. You know, when it comes to our curiosity, you know, we always like to do things that are like looking back, are like wow, this is kind of really taking the whole technology for granted. You know, it's just in our nature because what would happen if we did that? You know, yes, we expect Alexa to do these routines for us, you know, that's been told, but what if we do something that it wasn't supposed to do? You know, what if we ask it that? What would happen? You know, it's that innate curiosity and that, you know, fun sense of humor that people still have, that will still be true. You know, even when we get to, you know, Kirk's level of a computer, you know, I'm sure maybe not the Starfleet captain, but I'm sure there'll be some, someone kind of just slipping into the, the deck there and, you know, asking the computer all sorts of, you know, ridiculous questions. Of course, at one point, everyone gets tired of it in the beginning <laughs> people be doing all sorts of ridiculous things because you know we're just curious you know and I, I don't think I don't look at the article and see like oh you know people are you know I, I don't I'm not looking it into it so existentially I'm not looking it into it as a as like anything foreboding or anything like that it's just curiosity
0: how long do you think it's going to take somebody to use google deep duplex you know one restaurateur to use that as a weapon against another one trying to um uh see how many reservations google duplex can book uh and then have a, a whole day of no shows or um you know or just cause confusion uh with a competing business or uh or you know someone booking all the reservations at a uh uh, hard to get into, you know,
1: elite restaurant, and then reselling those. Um, well, that happens today. The, uh, a lot of uh, the restaurant—I don't know if it's a lot—but many restaurants in New York now take a credit card when you make a reservation, and if you don't show, they 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 din your credit card for a cancellation fee. So, because you're giving, you're taking a space that someone else could take, who really wants to show up. Interesting. Um, so, so I don't know how this works when restaurants start moving in that direction where they take a reservation fee uh, to make sure that you show up. Uh, the, whole, the whole reservation process, uh, as I said, it's not a binary process. You just don't call and say, I want to be there at 6, and she says, okay. It's a negotiation for time slot. It's a negotiation for the number of people that can, they can seat at a table. Uh, and in some cases, it's a negotiation on how much of a deposit you're going to put down and lose if you don't show up. It's a brave new world. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate your
0: time today. I uh, appreciate your insight, your expertise, uh, and sharing it with not just me, but the audience as well. Thank you very, very much for being part of this week in Voice. We I
1: had a great time. Thank you very much.
0: Likewise. Likewise. Thank you very much, Bradley. You got it for season three, episode four of this week in voice. Thank you for listening. And until next time.